The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 170 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new comic day audio digest brought to you every single week as it happens. This time for December 7th, 2017. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm here with Marcus Schwimmer. Good day, sir. Lucky number 170. That's the episode we're on. 170. What could it mean? Who knows? It, Who knows? It has it has positive portents. I'm also here with Curtis Sullivan. Hello, you guys. Hi, buddy. How y'all doing today? Well, what's that? What are these voices? Uh, just being goofy. You know, it's something that we like to do from time to time. It's a, what, It's a special for issue 170? Yeah, since it's an even-numbered podcast, which we all know is special. Yep. Anytime we hit a zero or a five, we do some weird voices. We're running into the end of the year right now. It's like the almost the end of 2017. Yeah. And I don't think we missed a week this year. We don't miss weeks. I don't think we miss weeks. We, I've tried. Marcus is a huge advocate of us missing weeks. I, they're not Marcus, missing... at the drop of a hat, will say, let's fucking cancel the podcast. And that's what I say. I say, let's take a bye week. A bye week? Because it sounds Why do you want to take a bye week so badly? Because, man, like we we all have jobs, <laughs> and we also do a podcast every single week of the year. It's a feat. I'm just, I'm the weakest of all of us when it comes to podcast constitution. And I'll, I'll, I'll own that. But like, I don't you know think, if that's true. You think that's true? Oh, you think about it. You, it's a Friday. You get home from work, have a cup of tea. Yeah. Someone's like, oh, I don't know if I can do the podcast this week. Marcus is like, fucking oh, cancel it. Fucking cancel it. <laughs> Me neither, man. Let's, cancel the whole thing. I'm so glad you brought it up because, yeah. uh, wow, I don't know if I can do it. Let's get together and get our jam jams and watch Die Hard. Don't, Which one do you prefer? Don't you guys think it would have been cool to do the podcast in seasons? You know how people oh. do that? Like with podcasts. And with TV shows, mm-hmm. you guys know like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They did that. They didn't do it every week. They did a. They would do a bunch of them, and then they would stop, take for a break a while. for a minute. If only we knew. Oh, that seems so smart. You know, it like, seems so smart to do that. But we're fucking trapped now. There, we cannot get out of it at this point. We're done forever. Until until one of us passes. That's that's when until we can somebody quit. until somebody's dead. Yeah. We can't quit. And yeah. even at that point, we might have to tag them out for Bertzos or if, something. We'll just replace you. Whoever you are, you future corpse. We won't quit. I don't even know if we can quit at this point. Never. This is a great way to start off the podcast. It is. Talk about the sweet hell we've crafted for ourselves. (laughs) You know what? Most of the time, most of the time it's good. I will say that I've called for a bye week maybe only five times this year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which if you think about it's like a month break. It's just a month out of the year. That's all. And yet. And yet we do it. Didn't miss a week. Didn't miss a, Didn't single, miss a week. single week. Call out to the the lady cast that, that stepped in for us a couple times. Yes. They did a huge job. If you haven't listened to the lady cast, yeah. go back and, and give them a listen because they're way more talented they're, than we was, ever will be. It was be. just frankly better than it's our show. So, in every way. In every way. If these comics would stop coming out every week, god damn. It's relentless. It's relentless. It's just a, a tide, a, a crimson yeah. tide. So we got a full show today. We have a very beefy in the news section. We have uh, our big picks, and I'm very pleased to announce that we're going to do our best comics of 2017. The awards have been made. We're gonna we're ready to mail them out. We have to mail them out. Yep, they're just hot. Curtis took a Hot Wheels car. 
and just glued it to the top of a trophy. That's what we're going with this year. We always do something kind of goofy for our trophy. It's like a dude playing volleyball, mm-hmm. and he's got a Hot Wheels car hot glued to the top of him. And yeah. in his growing area. Because he's like Greek style, so yeah. we, want to cover, we don't want him to be indecent. Sure. Got some glitter on there. I mean, I think it turned out pretty nice. Yep. None so. of these people, are they, they they didn't know they want it, but they want it. We're just going to send you some garbage. I mean, a trophy in the mail. Look for it. I, I think we might as well start with some in the news. What do you think? Let's do it. There's a lot. Let's get into it. Eddie Berganza, who worked for DC Comics for 25 years, has been fired due to sexual harassment. Wow, what a piece of work. What a piece of work. So this is a few weeks in the making, this little bit of news. And I don't. I think I'd like to get another voice in on this. You guys want to? I don't want to really three dude this. What do you guys think? Not a topic that three dudes. Yeah, let's bring in. I Rachel just don't Polk. know that anybody benefits from just the three of us talking about it. Rachel Polk, will you join us? I will. Hello, Hello. Rachel. So in November, yes, BuzzFeed put out an interview with two former DC employees who accused Berganza of uh, sexually harassing them back in the mid two thousands. This is around two thousand six. Three women in total have spoken with BuzzFeed, and five women are confirmed to have filed formal complaints with DC Comics and their human resources department. Um, D- what was Berganza's role at DC? In the early 2000s, he was working as a group editor. So he was in charge of a group of editors. It's a pretty high role. It's not the highest, but it's probably like fourth or fifth. Um, in terms of editorial, in te- editorial hierarchy. Yes. Okay. What were the what were the complaints leveled against him? <laughs> it, there were several lovely incidents of uh, him cornering women in hallways and forcing them to kiss him and make out with him. Uh, he was also accused of groping and attempted groping both at work and um, at parties. Yeah. So. There, so BuzzFeed interviewed two of these women who actually were two of the only women who like kept their names with these accusations against him. And it's very sad to realize that these complaints were made in 2010 and it is currently 2017 and nothing happened about this until this article by BuzzFeed was posted. So in, t- and in 2010, he was promoted to executive editor, even though the, there were five complaints on yes. file against so, him at that point. Yes. In 2010, that is when DC was moving their headquarters from New York to California. So they were doing a lot of structure repositioning. They were promoting people, demoting people, firing people. And the news got out that Berganza was up for this promotion for executive editor, which is second only to the editor-in-chief. So that is moving up the hierarchy quite a bit to being the second-in-command in terms of editorial. And when that news broke, there were a lot of people who came forward and said, no, this dude is terrible. This guy's an asshole, and he's assaulted several women, and that's when all the complaints were filed. And the promotion went through anyway. And the promotion went through anyway. So, and the other thing, the kind of top-level thing about this that sucks almost more than anything else is that those women don't work in comics anymore. No, and it's been, it. They one of them has been quoted to say that, like, she left D.C. because of him. She left 
comics because of him. And uh, one of them is, uh, her name is Janelle Asselin, I believe is how you say her last name, but she is quoted as saying, uh, quote, we all left and he's still there. That, to me, tells me what the DC Comics priority is, unquote. Yeah. I, and this is, so, you know, we we bring it up because this is, it's everywhere in our culture right now. You can't yeah. be, like, awake and alive without hearing about this stuff. Like, yeah. this really kind of remarkable, amazing time that we're going through right now where all of this, I mean, comics are not immune to it, or the comic book industry is not immune to it. Comic book, the comic book industry is actually strikingly male. It's strikingly white and male, uh, especially once you get to, like, the editorial level yeah. of things. And stories like this play a role into why. These are these are five women that would have worked in comics that don't anymore. Five women that actually went through and filed. Right. That does not mean that the line stops there. Cause, so he got promoted in 2010, and in 2012, at WonderCon... At a comic book convention in California, he assaulted another woman who was not his employee. She was somebody who's uh, just looking to get some work. And, and this is all according to the same BuzzFeed article? This is, yes. Um, and actually, that incident caused him to get demoted back to his previous title. So... BuzzFeed publishes this incredibly revealing article, which has like a full timeline of all of the incidents that have been reported, and as well as his career. And this article is posted on November 10th of 2017. On November 11th of 2017, Berganza has been suspended. And on November 13th, he is fired. That is how, that is how striking this article was. And... I'm very glad that that has happened. I'm very glad that like something has finally been said and that he's not getting away with it. But the fact of the matter is like people don't talk about this. So Rachel, you in so you also work in comics. Yes. So is there something we we've kind of hear about it it we kind of hear from our perspective as retailers and as people that do a podcast that it's like the the publishers are very sensitive to criticism and it's really we hear that it's easy to be to get on their bad side and then have trouble finding work in yeah. comics does that do you find that to be true first of all and second of all i mean should i don't know if we should speculate but it seems like that makes it an even harder industry to kind of come forward and make your complaints known if that is a, a risk absolutely it's it's terrifying to work in a male dominated uh, work environment like comics are they are male dominated and it is very rare for women to really fully succeed and the women who do are absolutely amazing but the blacklisting is it's crazy if you get fired from a job like DC you're it's going to be so difficult to find work like it's just if because you, the industry's small and people talk, and not because there's any formal blacklist, actually, but yeah. just because of people know other creators' reputations. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have I have turned, personally, I have turned down gigs simply because I know if I fail this one, it's going to be really hard to continue to find work. Wow. So, it's, there's that, and it's also, it is incredibly difficult for anyone in any work environment who has been sexually harassed or assaulted to come forward and say this person did this 
that is like it it is overwhelmingly difficult so to know that those odds are against you like you have to come forward and you have to out this person who has you know incredible power in the job that you have and you have to be willing to risk your job sure that's what that requires well uh good on buzzfeed yeah, yeah. Uh, for for breaking this news and it's something that needs to be it, I mean it, I mean it's absolutely true what Rachel's saying. I mean the the industry is just dominated by men. Um so it's I'm surprised that we haven't heard about more of it. This is probably not the end of it. I know. I, I really hope that it's not the end of it. Yeah. In in terms of I hope that more women and not just women because this does happen to men, but I hope that people who have experienced that within the industry start coming forward and we start getting rid of the people who are pieces of shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Quite frankly. Well, you know, and this article is, you know, this seems to be a trend in a lot of these cases, right, where it's not the company internally that's making these, you know, adjustments and firing people. It's this information gets out, it gets published, it's in a news article, and then all of a sudden, you know, DC decides we're going to fire this guy. Yeah. yeah, five formal complaints are the ones we know about. Right. Yeah. So how many... F- Formal complaints right. do you need against somebody? From seven years ago, this guy's been promoted multiple times. Yeah. Five, At least five women no longer work in the industry because of this dude. And the reason we're getting this kind of change in this moment, that's that's cool. It's, it's great because he's of fired. Media. It's because yeah. of media because it leaked out. Yeah. So you would just hope that eventually some of this internal culture at these yes. companies and political places would, would you know, T- police yourselves take care yep. of your own yeah. stuff yeah and we're totally going to put that article in our show notes we will totally link there. to it 100 yeah. percent. yes so thank you for letting me talk about this uh it is something that is extremely important to the comic book industry and agreed i very much look forward to uh people getting ousted yeah absolutely will <laughs> you uh hang out for the rest of our in the news i would love to cb sabulski yeah. A name I don't like to say. <laughs> Not because of the dude necessarily, but it's just a hard name to say. And it, we've been saying yeah. it a lot lately. Yeah. He is the new editor-in-chief for Marvel Comics, and I'd like to tell you guys a little story, if I may. Please do. So there was a writer for Marvel Comics in the early 2000s. His name was Akira Yoshida. Okay. He worked great on handle. Books, yeah, great handle, right? He, saw, he worked on books like Thor, Son of Asgard, X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, a whole bunch of other X-Men colon title books like right. just a bunch of x-men books he worked on conan i love conan for a minute i don't Curtis. remember i don't remember akira yoshida's run i'm gonna have to go look this up you probably should i bet it's worth a little bit of money now yoshida never attended panels at all he never sat for any publicity he was seen occasionally around the marvel offices though uh with the guy actually hanging out with the guy that eventually would become marvel's editor-in-chief cb sabulski they were seen hanging out together. They were seen hanging out together. Okay. When questioned about it, people at Marvel offices like, oh, yeah, I've met, yeah, I kind of know Kira Yoshida. But it started to raise little eyebrows that, like, nobody had ever met this dude, and he was writing a bunch of books for Marvel. Some people did start to look into it. They started to try to figure out what was going on with this guy. How come he's not doing any? It's kind of unusual for Marvel, especially at that time, to hire a Japanese writer and give them, you know, kind of put them across so many titles. And he's kind of hot shit. He's writing a lot of books. Writing a lot of books. You know? Yes. Now, so he's a Japanese-born writer. He's he's from Japan originally. He was hired on as part of this push by Marvel during that period to hire a more racially diverse stable of creators. This is something Marvel was was trying to do at that point as they're looking for talent. And his work tended to pivot around what 
what some people might actually stereotypically call you know you might call them stereotypically Japanese tropes things like honor and vengeance and ninjas almost all of his work featured something in there that was like well okay well all right <laughs> Um, but he wasn't a huge name by any means, but he was doing a bunch of different titles. So, Akira Yoshida, you probably see where I'm going with this. Akira Yoshida d- does not exist. There is no dude named Akira Not a real Yoshida. dude. That's an awesome name that C.B. Sabulski <laughs> made up for himself. But who was the guy walking around the Marvel office? In fact, he was a translator that Sabulski brought into the office and kind of implied was Akira <laughs> oh Yoshida. This, Do you this just pay this dude? Chest. Just like I'll give you a hundred dollars to walk around I with me. I don't know. I don't know. This was broke by, um, I think, Bleeding Cool actually. But Bleeding Cool wrote about it a while ago and has been writing about it and asking people about it. Yep. For a really long time, asking people at Marvel. Marvel's like, nope, that's a real dude. Let's talk about something else. So, I know the top line reason. This is delicious to me. So the top <laughs> line reasoning for this might have been that Marvel Editorial, which Sabuski is part of Marvel Editorial yes. at that point. They did not allow their staff to serve as writers. Makes sense. This is Bleeding Cool is postulating this. No one really knows that this is the reason why Sabulski did this and kept the charade going to the intense level that he did. So editorial can't write comics because you're already paying your editorial staff a salary and they pick the writers, right? So you can't also be a writer and get paid for writing and draw a salary. Totally makes sense. That makes sense. And that's just a policy that Marvel had. I buy it. So, Sabulski denied that he was Yoshida for years. He was asked point blank for years. He just completely denied it. Until the spotlight of being named editor-in-chief, people were like, all right, dude, come on. We've put two and two together. It's you. And he did finally open up to it and own up to it. He put out this really brief statement. He said, I stopped writing under the pseudonym Akira Yoshida after about a year. It wasn't transparent, but it taught me a lot about writing, communication, and pressure. I was young and naive and had a lot to learn back then. He also called the issue old news that has been dealt with and added that he was looking forward to his new position as Marvel editor-in-chief. Well, it definitely wasn't old news that had been dealt with. So that's total bullshit. Yeah, because nobody knew about it until just like a month ago. Yeah, and I was reading that uh, one of the guys from like the Image kind of central. Image? Image Comics. Yeah. Sent out a tweet that was like, maybe somebody should ask C.B. Sobolski about why he (laughs) wrote all these Japanese comics for Marvel Comics back in the day. (gasps) Yeah. It was kind of like an open secret in the, apparently in the industry. He, He named the dude Akira Yoshida. That's brutal. In in hindsight, right, you you hear that name and you're like, oh, that's made up by a white dude. That is totally a Caucasian dude who loves manga way too much. Yeah. trying to make a Japanese name. That's super weird, man. Just think of the logistics. Just like, the number of lies. Well, not even that, but like that, you guys set up a direct deposit for that dude. Mm-hmm. How do you cash that dude's checks? Okay. Who, how, how does it? How does the back end of it work? I'm sorry. Can we stop dancing around the subject here? This is a white dude yeah. who has impersonated a Japanese dude for, I'm going to speculate here, for profit. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to quote a writer who is himself Asian. Joshua Luna says, quote, This Akira Yoshida story sends yet another message of Asian culture being desired, but not actual Asian people, unquote. And... I kind of nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. We we see time and time again, and this is a huge frustration 
for me personally, because I am of Asian heritage, of Asian culture constantly being taken and shoved into comics without actually having Asian people in it. Yep. Ameri- like, white white people are always better at being Asian than Asian people are. So, for real, like, we're, we're joking about it because this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Th- this thing is like, but it is deeply stupid and upsetting like this is completely not okay please don't let my joking tone make it sound like i think this is funny or i mean it's funny but it's it's not okay it's ridiculous exactly yeah it's It's absurd it's absurd yeah and and the other thing is you know that we should you know really point out marvel was trying to hire more diverse creators yeah and you've got a guy who's taking a job with a fake name yeah. from a potential actual Japanese creator. Yeah, you know what country has more comic book readers than any other country per capita in the whole world? The country of Japan, they have no yeah. shortage of writers that would love to work at Marvel Comics. I'm just, and I'm, pull, I'm pulling that out of my ass, but I guarantee in a heartbeat you could find a thousand people that want to write for Marvel Comics that are talented enough. This guy already had a job at Marvel. He, he, had a job he, he needed Marvel. another job at Marvel. Yeah, under a fake Japanese name. Yeah, that's crazy weird, man. That's super fucking weird. So I don't know. It, it seems like he's kind of gotten past the worst of it, though. It doesn't. If, it seemed like if he was going to get fired, it would have been you know two, three weeks ago when this broke. Um, but I say, I mean, find another editor in chief that didn't do this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's a it's a bummer, man. Yeah, there- Marcus. It, you you're you're saying it before I can say it. It sucks. Um, dude needs to probably step down. Like even if you don't get fired, own your shit. Like you f- you fucked up. Yeah. So own your shit and and step yeah. down. And also the the apology is half assed. Oh, it's it's that's not an apology. Ha- it's yeah. right. You're right. It's not an apology. I learned a lot about writing and the creative process, and I was young. That's not an apology. You're just stating yeah. things. That you may have learned about the writing process, right? Well, but it, you're not saying like I'm really sorry to all of the Asian comic creators that I took someone's job and was a dick about it and only used tropes. And we're not even That's getting into like the content of those books because I haven't gone back and read any of it. I've just read about the stuff that he was writing about. So yes. I don't want to get into it too far, but uh, we might. This might be not the last time we're he- we've heard of Akira Yoshida. Oh my. <laughs> God. Maybe we should do a little uh, review of some of his books. Over oh, there. man. So this is, I hate to admit it, but he he did this book, uh, Thor, Son of Asgard. Yeah. And I haven't read it in years, but I remember being like, that's a really cool <laughs> comic. <laughs> it's like little baby Thor. He's like little 14-year-old Thor. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have the hammer yet. I remember really liking this comic book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Grant, that was, you know, many years ago. Right. I, I got to revisit this thing. I got to. I, I want to read more of this stuff just to kind of uh, see what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm just picturing Baby Thor and then like ninjas appear in Asgard. Like, yeah, oh, right. Exactly. How the fuck did that happen? Yeah. That's weird. Can yeah. I really quickly say, like, I hope that this is not the end of this because yeah, yeah, yeah. it is, in, in some ways, I am looking at this from a similar light that I am looking at the issues of sexual harassment in comics of like, yeah, this happened years ago. That does not mean that you get to get away with it. Nope. You need to have some kind of punishment. Yeah, you're right. Because this is not okay, and it cannot be something that is perpetuated in our in our culture and in our comics and in our media. Like, or, you, or you can make him the editor in chief of the largest <laughs> comic book publisher in the industry. <laughs> Good job, guys. Either either one of those things are cool. Yeah. Now he's like, could you imagine being an Asian comic creator and like this dude has to review your shit? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't think there's enough ninjas. Like, oh, well, you suck. 
You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's a it's a bad situation, yeah. and Homeboy needs to uh, find a new job. Probably, probably should. Anyway. Well, that's some in the news. Oh boy, how was it? Got real serious on the in the news. Mm, it's a he- heavy Good week man. of in the news. Thanks for hanging out with us, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I know I get uh, very heated about some of these topics, man, but it was very nice of you to let me chat with you. Thank you for doing it. It's worth getting heated about. This shit sucks. Let's talk about some cool shit. <laughs> Let's do it. Time for the big pigs. Time for the big pigs. Time for the big pigs. What you gonna do when you got a big pig in your hand? Oh, you gonna read it? Take it to your house and sit on the couch and read that big pig. Thank you. I was looking deep into Marcus's eyes the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you time. were. I I have no lyrics for that. I wasn't ready. I didn't know. I don't do. I don't nobody, freestyle. Nobody could have been. I have no. I have no freestyle abilities. Every single week, a bunch of comics. One thousand. One thousand comics come out. Just like every week, dudes do one thousand shitty things <laughs> per dude, <laughs> and sometimes they get fired for it, and it's awesome. And when they do. You can think of it's like our big things. <laughs> you can think of these comics as like three dudes that didn't get fired. No, that did get no, fired because it's cool that they got cool. fired. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. We okay. I do oh, man. I should. I I did it to myself. That's one. That one was a hundred percent my own fault. Hey, we Marcus. Yes. What, what was the best comic you read this week? How is your like? If if there was a barometer, and it was like empty to full, how full is your holiday spirit right now? How full is my holiday spirit? Yes. Yeah. Like, how am I sick of holiday stuff yet? Is that what you're asking me? No, I want to know how juiced you are for the holidays right now. What's oh. your juice level? What's yeah. your juice level? I mean, I'm at normal juice, I guess. Curtis, how juiced are you? I'm fucking crazy juiced. My well, juice level is at maximum juice power. I gave all my juice to Curtis I, I every year. I stole all his juice. If you want to get more juiced, and Nick, if you want to get on our level, Curtis and my <laughs> level, yeah. uh, you need to pick up the DC Holiday Special 2017 is a host of short stories by DC writers and illustrators and colors. And Can I tell you stuff. one thing right off the bat that I love about the, the every year about the DC holiday special? Yes. That like there so w- on this cover mm-hmm. we have on a sleigh mm-hmm. going down our sled rather going down a mountain we got what a bunch of Superman's, Superman, Batman's, Flash, a bunch of Flashes, and yeah. Wonder Woman's, Super and, Kids, and they're all hanging out and they're having just the best time ever. Yeah, they're, they're all they're going smiling. Very, they're going very fast down a thing, and that's comic books, man. That, yeah, because the same dude that wants to read the most recent, like the Batman Who Laughs, which is like super fucking grim, and it's Batman getting his life ruined. Like that yeah. dude also comes in. He buys that comic, and then he buys this comic, and they exist together. And I just love that about comics. I do too. No, it's great, and you need that. You you want that? Yes, absolutely. I just can't handle any more Batman Who Laughs. Yes. So give me some of this. Absolutely. I don't know if we talked about Batman Who Laughs on this podcast. Never mind. We'll we'll to be continued another yeah, time. Absolutely. Anyway, DC Holiday Special. Yeah, I'm only gonna talk about a couple of the little short stories, but the one that I wanted to focus on the most is a Sergeant Rock story that takes place during World War II. It is by Tom King and Francisco Francavilla. Um, so the story, I'm just going to go on and say it. it made me cry 
just like ugly cry. The Tom King story did yeah. because this is like eleven or twelve short stories. Yeah, in this book? absolutely. Okay. But this this one particular okay. story it just made me weep. Um, it's got everything. Yeah, it's got World War Two. It's mm-hmm. got Christmas. What's the premise? That's Sergeant Rock. The premise is is that there are two soldiers, a German uh, officer and a U.S. infantryman, who uh, have been left behind lines, and the the U.S. infantryman is wounded. Um, I am already getting choked up. Go, Holy buddy. Moly. Go. Um, the and the U.S. infantryman is armed, and the the German officer is not. So that's a, he's his prisoner. He's his prisoner. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, he's trying to walk him back to across to Allied lines. But he's so wounded that he he really can't. He's he's kind of just plunked plunkered down by a tree. Um, I just love how honorable the soldier is. Who says because he, he can't move, but he's not gonna he's not gonna shoot this. He German could just, officer could just shoot the just officer and end yeah. it all and be but, he, f- but he and won't. he says like hey you can run off so I can shoot you but I'm not gonna she's like why don't you shoot me now and let's be done with it like well why don't you try and run off and then give me the excuse but he's not gonna do it right yep. so they plunk down and they're both sitting at a, a, a at a tree apiece I'm right now what I'm doing is vamping because Marcus is crying in the podcast studio yeah. and he can't talk <laughs> about this story and they sit there and it's just then what happens buddy um so there's a revelation that takes place that the U.S. soldier is Jewish, mm-hmm. um, and the thing is, is like this dude should have died days ago. Like he's he's mortally wounded. Yeah, he hasn't had any food. He hasn't any water. He's, he's freezing. Out. He's, he's bleeding out. Fre- yep, exactly. And it's it, the short story is is paneled by days, so he it's anticipated that he should have only made it two days, um, but he he keeps on going and there's a lot of talk between him and the German officer about the idea of uh, faith and the fact that how could the Jewish people have faith anymore after all of these terrible terrible things have happened holy moly <laughs> and uh, and uh, eventually they they both perish um, and, and Sergeant Rock is the one who comes in his crew is the one who comes in and and finds this soldier next to this dead German officer. And um, Sergeant Rockshaw gives this beautiful little speech about hope and faith and dedication and honor. Um, So you're burying the lead too here, man. So not only that, but he lasted eight days. He lasts eight days. Exactly late eight days. And it's... what Sergeant Rock notices is that the light in this soldier's eyes right. is still burning, even mm-hmm. a little bit, even after he was supposed to be dead days and days and days ago. The light's still burning after eight days, and it's as a Hanukkah story. It's, it's amazing as a just a piece of like just fiction of two people spending eight days together. It's amazing. Like it's one of the best things I've read in a long time, and it's what five pages, six it's pages exactly. They get a lot done in very yeah. very little. A page count, yeah. I think you know the idea that it just it shows, um, it shows the human ability to find hope and 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 be an example in the worst of situations and the worst of times. Um, and when you hear the the premise of like Tom King's gonna write a Hanukkah story about you know sergeant rock and killing Nazis, like okay, Tom King, yeah, like all right, man, I guess. I guess do that or don't maybe do that, but of course this guy is so fucking good at his job that he just completely nails it. It's like it's very it's not over the top. It's not only is it tastefully done, but it's like elegantly and eloquently done. 
it was just fantastic. Yeah, it's not a war story. I mean, it is, but it's not like this action thing. Yeah. You know, it's just very meditative, very, very cool. It's not what I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. I think the rest of that DC holiday book was a little schmaltzy, but... But it was it was good. It couldn't all have been this, or else it would be yeah. one big cry fest. I, right. would, I would still be a mess. I right. am a mess. I'm a mess right now. Look at him go. I know. Um... But uh, just another quick note. There's a really beautiful uh, Batman Wonder Woman story in here. That one pissed me off because it got me, <laughs> yeah. and I did not expect it to. I was really it's it's as cheesy as the rest of it. Yeah, and it's Batman and Wonder Woman. They're like talking to each other, and then I found myself feeling like my chest started tightening up and getting hot, and I was like, yeah. Why am I feeling this way? It, that one pissed me off because it got me so good. Yeah, it's a great book. Everyone should read it. Um, it's worth the price of admission for that Tom King story alone. Though. Yeah. yeah, and there's a ton of other feel good things and that's the thing you got to go into these holiday books kind of knowing that they're going to give you you know some cheese yeah. and uh, I think they delivered I overall there was a Teen Titans story in here that was really really great this was a this was a kick ass issue sweet yeah. check it out Curtis our picks got to be speedy picks they'll be so fast so fast yeah do you want to go first I want you to go first I'll go first mine is of course it's Claus in the Crisis in Xmas Phil Klaus Klaus, Klaus. and uh, we this is our book of the month of December last year it's one of our favorite holiday books it's Grant Morrison it's Dan Mora it's uh, Santa Claus as legend as myth as lore as superhero and he delivers again in this great uh, one shot issue called The Crisis in Xmasville it's about this soda pop magnet who (laughs) Curtis can I tell you I lost the thread of this book about halfway through I could not tell what was happening in this book at a certain point yeah Oh, I was I was in it the whole time. I mean, uh, it's this the soda pop magnet who's who had a war with with Santa Claus in the '30s and he lost. Did we? Was that the one shot last year? I don't know. They just allude to it, okay. so I know it was not the one okay, shot last cool. year. Um, but uh, this guy is like, you know, he's 90 years old. He's in a wheelchair and he wants revenge on Santa Claus. So he makes a deal with like some aliens and a Santa Claus from like another universe that's like the dark Santa Claus. Yeah. You know, the negaverse Santa Claus. This book's got it all, man. I was flipping out. There is all these weird, like, brainwashed Santa Claus that are, they take over this entire town called Xmasville, and everybody who works in every store is a Santa Claus, mm-hmm. you know, dressed in this costume with this dead look on their face. You know, it it was fantastic. I got to tell you, Santa Claus is a superhero? Grant Morrison, thank you for that. I mean, it's just like you did it for Curtis. I this is my perfect book. It was my perfect book last year when it came out. Give me one of these every Christmas. It seems like they're gonna. Man, Dan Moore's art is 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 better than ever. There's the tons. There's a double page spread of Santa Claus on the roof of these buildings, looking like a kick-ass Santa Claus Batman. Yeah, that it, was what really struck me in this book is that Dan Moore's art is looking. It's the best iteration of Claws so far. Agreed. It, it looks so damn good. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, yeah. Please check out this book. Check out the hardcover. It's got gilded gold pages of the original six-issue story. Cla- yeah, check out that first volume. Yeah. Klaus and the Crisis of Eximusville. This <laughs> is a good title, too. My big pick was Sleepless from Image Comics. I did not pick a Christmas book. What? Because I'm not a child. Man, I'm still getting wet-eyed over here. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> trying to keep my shit together. Sleepless is by Sarah Vaughn, who you might know from Eternal Empire or Alex and Ada. Two great books. Two great books. She's a very, very good writer. And Leela Del Duca, who I am not familiar with. That is I a know the art. name, but... Well, it's not a contest. <laughs> so Sleepless is about a young lady who might be the illegitimate daughter of a now-deceased king. 
I think. She's guarded by someone that's called she who is a sleepless. We don't really know what that means yet, except he doesn't sleep. Doesn't need to. He's he, got bags under his d- eyes. He looks like he could use a nap, but he yeah. had he doesn't sleep, and he's also like a badass. He's like the honor guard. The sleepless are very very badass. So the king has been killed. There is this passage of power, and there is intrigue in the kingdom. What's going to happen now? Who's safe? Who isn't safe? And how does like a possible like she as an illegitimate daughter of the king? She probably poses some problems politically. Um, it's got a little bit of fantasy stuff. It's got a little bit of action. There is a hint of magic because at one point she gives the king her gift to the new king is a ring that gives you pleasant dreams every single night as long as you wear it. Oh, and it's not like it actually does that. Like right. it's imbued with actual magic. So there, we don't know exactly what's going on with this world yet. Um, I thought it was I thought it was a banger of a first issue. Great A fantasy book. Great A fantasy book. They did not give us too much. We we have a lot still to learn. We don't know what's up with the sleepless. We don't know why she needs a bodyguard in the first place. That's Sleepless from Image Comics, short and sweet. Wonderful pick. I liked it a lot. I thought it was good because it just gave you just enough. You, I, just enough. It's just what I want. You know, it's not overwhelming with details. You dropped you in and here Sarah we go. Vaughn's great at that. Indeed. Sarah Vaughn will, will walk you in just the way that you need to be walked in. She knows better. Sarah Vaughn knows better. There it is. Uh, you know? Might be the episode title. There you go. We'll see. What was the best one of the... Oh, no, we don't even have time to do that because we have to talk about the actual best comic that came out this week. Yes. Real quick, we all read this thing. Batman 36. Holy shit. Holy shit. We, this is a... Re- I don't know that we've ever done this, but this is a communal best pick. Yeah. We're going to call this best pick. So this is this is Tom King again. Tom King again. He, who's been writing Batman since Rebirth, 36 issues in. Yep. This artist named Clay Man, whose art is like... Very, very good. And this is a totally jump inable issue. You Absolutely. don't you don't need to know anything about what's happening in Batman at all. The name of the story is Super Friends mm-hmm. Part One. And so we know that Batman and Superman have been hanging out for years and years and years. Yeah. They're arguably super friends. They're best friends. Are they? We don't know. We don't know. And uh this issue just gets into these guys haven't talked for a while because spoiler alert, Batman is getting married. Mm-hmm. He's getting married to Catwoman. Yes. And it's making things a little awkward between Superman and Batman. They haven't talked in a minute. Yeah. And this issue focuses on them each talking to their respective spouses. Mm-hmm. You know, Batman is talking to Catwoman and, you know, Superman's talking to Lois Lane. And about, They're talking about each other. Yeah. I, why hasn't he called me? I shouldn't have to call him. He should have called me. And they're both having these, like, parallel, these two couples are having these parallel conversations that converge into like the what some of the coolest writing I've ever seen like on these characters th- the, a way to think about these characters like what they what their mythos means what they mean to each other what how they are as dudes like it was fucking beautiful it's it's one of the it's it's a beautiful piece of writing not only because it's it's Batman and Superman but because Tom King has written the dialogue that breaks down the foundation of their friendship in a way that is 100% relatable to normal people and that takes fucking skill this book is an all-star everyone should read it yes do you like comics at all do you like any comic at all read it read it it is simply amazing he, yeah. he somehow brought new stuff to these characters yeah I've read a million Batman comics this is a thing Tom King is like it it took him a minute, I think, to like hit his stride in this Batman run. 
and he's I think he was a little gun shy at mm-hmm. first and I've read stuff about him being like a little not a little intimidated by the character he is fucking grabbing the on ball fire. and running with it at he's this here, point he's here to save us all Batman number 36 it's our best pick our big picks were the DC Holiday Special 2017 Klaus and the Crisis and Xmasville that Xmas is on, purfi- on purpose no read, it's on purpose read, read within to find out and Sleepless issue number one from Image Comics good big picks all around boys it's a good week for comics. It's a good week for comics. It's a good year for comics. Woo! Ooh, it was a good year. It was. We we groan, we talk, we chat. You've heard us talk about numbers and boring shit like Lord, that. Lord, Lord knows. But man, as far as output goes. 2017 was a heater. It really was. And I didn't realize what a heater it was until we prepared our best of 2017 lists, which we are going to present to you now for your consideration. But before I hear, was that too much of a but? A little too much plosive? It was very explosive. Too much but? Too much but. All right. That's what I was going for. Uh, We each picked five books. We're going to tell you about them all. But, but, I'd like to know... Uh, what your honorable what what of your honorable mentions, Curtis? We're gonna start with honorable mentions. Yeah, hit me with hit me with your most honorable of your honorable mentions. I that didn't make the cut. All right, I am gonna let's see. I'm gonna go with Descender. Descender. Yes, by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Ongoing throughout the year. Yes, it has been going for you know longer than just this year. But they just wrapped the most recent story arc called Rise of the Robots, and this book. I just sometimes forget about it. You know, it's one of those books you're just reading it for months and months and it's good and you like it and you appreciate it. But every six or eight issues, Jeff Lemire, yeah. he's wrapping up a story, he's got these big beats are happening. The end of Rise of the Robots kicked my ass and just reminded me, th- this is a fantastic book. It came out of the gate screaming. It was one of Image's biggest launches. Yeah. You know, in 2016, Jeff Lemire, we all love this guy. We talk about him to death. He writes a whole bunch of comics. Dustin Nguyen can draw like a mother trucker. Honorable. Great, great book. We'll it, call it, it honorable. It missed the cut, but read that book. If I was C.B. Sabulski, I would call this a very honorable book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Marcus? Yes. What was your What was your most honorable mention? I'm going to pick the French dystopian comic, golden comic series, A Beautiful Death. And I'm not picking oh, it. Oh, man, you guys picking that up? I'm not. I missed it. I'm not picking it because Nick doesn't like it. What was the title? A Beautiful Death. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm, that's a good comic. I'm, thank you, Curtis. I'm, I'm picking it because I've read a lot of dystopian comics in my time. Um, and for some reason, some beautiful reason, this comic, I think, is deep and has layers. The art is stunning and has purpose. Um, a Beautiful Death, a great French dystopian comic book that I think over time will grow into something even more beautiful. Agreed. God, I think that book sucks. We know. It's easy on it's easily on my top three shittiest. You, there's no, no, no way. There's Come no on. way. Easy. 
No. Top five for sure. Maybe even he's top just three. No, he's you're just, just being grumpy. You're being yeah. a Grinch. Uh-huh. This is what people this is what the people want. This is gonna get your goddamn juice meter up here, buddy. Because I owned my worst pick of the year. I owned it. Which was US Avengers. That was a bad book. I was a stinker. And I'll own it. Yeah. But you cannot come to me as a man <laughs> and tell me that A Beautiful Death is in your top three worst books of the year. Man, I didn't like that book. Wow. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. You want to know what my most honorable mention was? What? It's definitely Peter Parker and the Spectacular Spider-Man. It's been Killer a great, book. Great run. He's, it's not and the Spectacular. He is the Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man. Yes. It's Peter Parker, Same the Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, man. I can't, and I, I'm looking at, my honorable mentions were, I got a bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that list. Mm-hmm. I don't, I wasn't as excited for a new issue or, I, I, I get giddy when I see a new issue of Peter Parker and the Spectacular Spider-Man. Every issue. Every issue. It's a killer book. Chip Zdarsky is the perfect writer for Spider-Man. It's perfect. And I had no idea, and it makes so much sense, it's such a good book. It's the best play. If you've never read Spider-Man in your life, just jump in with this run. Every issue still available at your local comic shop. That's the other thing. It's on seven issues. Get it number one. Do that thing. Yeah, get it number one. That's my most honorable mention. Now, let's get to the real shit. Let's uh, get to the real shit. Oh, please. And I, we don't, this is not messy foot around here. All right? For once. Because we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> So, Marcus. Yes. What was, and the way that we're going to do this is we're going to each go around and do our top five from five to one. Okay. Right? And if anybody's list, if anybody, if we hit a number or a title that's has a better ranking on someone else's list, we're just going to skip it. But it didn't happen very much. We didn't have a lot of crossover. Which is weird because this is our third best of. Yeah. Usually we have a ton of crossover. This year, our, maybe our styles are evolving. I think we're all, I think we're all just growing apart <laughs> as people. <laughs> Aww. Oh. No, I like to chalk it up to the fact that there's just too there's so much good stuff. Maybe it's the breadth Y'all, and width of the comic book industry. We've never been closer. Yeah. All right. Marcus? Yes. What was your number five? A tomahawk. Oh, cool. Uh, this is by Donnie Keats, and the art is done by Ian Betterman, who is a tattoo artist, not a comic artist. Two mm-hmm. does tattoos. Originally syndicated in Heavy Metal magazine, came together for issue number zero, uh, which was released by Titan Comics. Um, this book challenged my style, my preference on art style. I usually am not a huge fan of American classic tattoo art. Um, sorry if you have it. It's just not my, it's not my style. Um, but man, that, you're just like hating on people's bodies. I know. I'm so sorry. I feel bad. Um, they but, can't get rid of really hard to get rid of. <laughs> they are. But, uh, Mr. Betterman came in and made this a Tomahawk comic and I, the, the mixture of comics and that style of art was beautiful and ingenious and I haven't seen anything like it and then Donny Cates came in and wrote the best sci-fi book I read all year um it is wild and his style is just like Jack Kirby but if Jack Kirby drank five monster energy drinks and then like punched somebody I don't know it's just it's <laughs> wild and it's aggressive yeah um but god damn it was a great book and it, it came out of nowhere I, I i get heavy metal magazine and i remember reading a chunk of it and being like oh it was really cool but then seeing it in its collected format it is some of the best science fiction i've ever read mixed with this i th- the fact that the art just completely changed my view on a style of art in one issue was really impressive to me and thus 
A Tomahawk is my number five. Never seen a book that looked like that either. You've never. N- I, you've never seen a classic tat- American tattoo style comic book. No, I know. It was crazy. It was so crazy because it was so two D. Yeah. God dang it, kick butt. What? That's a good way of putting it. It was. It was very flat. It's so flat. So two D. Yeah. It really. But in a really interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally killer right. book. Uh, Curtis is number five. We're gonna skip. Fine. My number five was Your Black Friend by Ben Passmore, which technically came out in 2016, but I don't care. Well, it got re-released or whatever. It got re-released a bunch in 2017, and I read it as part of one of those re-releases in 2017. This is the, it's an essay. It's got a kind of a narrative, but not really, about a dude sitting in a cafe thinking about what it's like to be black and to be, live in this town, to have white friends, to have black friends. It's about identity. It's about the way that you're perceived by others. It's about alienation. It's about this uh, It's about this moment that we're in when people are talking eloquently and openly about things that we haven't really talked about before or at least uh, haven't in a very long time talked so openly about it. Is and besides that, it's really clever. It's really, it's really witty. It's really well drawn. Uh, I thought this was fantastic. It felt really honest and, and personal, and in in like a realistic yep. conversation about, you know, assuming things about anyone, but especially yeah. you know your black friend. You know when you have a like a conversation with somebody that's smarter than you, and it just sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Like th- that. When I think back about all the comics that I've read this year, like. I, d- I think about this book, Your Black Friend, more than I think about maybe almost any comic that I've read this year. It, it stuck with me as well. Yeah. It's something that as I go through my daily interactions, it comes back to me like, oh, fuck, I need to be conscious about this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was dynamite. Yeah. It is a book that should be read in school and everyone should have to take a look at it because, I'll, I mean, I'll come out and say it, as a, as a white dude... It is a book that I reference in my interactions with other people because he he speaks openly and, and is part of this dialogue. And it was nice to have. I felt like I had this dialogue with the creator. Um, and if there's a book that you can come back to for social interactions, that's powerful. And I agree with you. It deserves to be on this list. Yep. Uh, and just also, you know, and I don't also want to let slide that it's not a really just well done piece of comic book. Like, it's just well crafted. Uh which doesn't always get added into the conversation when people are talking about this book, which has kind of caught fire a little bit this year, deservedly so. It's like on a lot of people's radar, which is really cool for a book like this from a publisher like Silver Sprocket that doesn't get, you know, doesn't do huge numbers distribution-wise. Yeah, it's got an expanded hardcover edition coming out in a month or two. Yes. So that's Your Black Friend. That's my number five pick. Let's get into the four zone. Oh, no. It's time for the fours. My number four is Punisher, the Platoon yeah. by Garth Ennis. Great book. Great book. And it's still coming out. We're just, I feel like we're just starting to get into it. We've had three issues. Um, I'm a sucker for military comics. You heard me cry about a military You're comic You're going to cry earlier. about Punisher, the Platoon now? I, I'm still feeling it. Um Man, so the the thing is, is that origin story comics can and often do suck, in my opinion, because every comic book character that's not brand new, I've read their origin story a million times. But here's the thing about Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis will do an origin story like it is. It's well known that the Punisher was in Vietnam or whatever military conflict that they want to put him in, depending on the time period. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I grew up in a military family. Uh, my dad is friends with a lot of dude who went to Vietnam. Um, and I hear their lingo and I hear the way they talk and I, I hear the stories sometimes when I'm lucky enough. Um, this comic captures that in a way that I've only Garth Ennis can ever do. Um, it's a great book. It's a great piece of military comic hit, like folklore because military comics are dying. There's no question about it. Um, they are just not as popular as they used to be. Um, but this is one of the best ones. I agree with you 100%. This is, there was a time when Garth Ennis was, could do no wrong and he was the, my favorite writer in comic books uh, back when he was doing like Preacher in the you know, mid-90s, early 90s for Vertigo. And uh, this is a return to form. This is this comic book sings and the art we should mention this guy Goran Parlov don't forget about this dude is very very good European art style crisp clean not something that you normally see on kind of like a regular American Marvel comic this dude's gonna fuck around and become one of my favorite artists for sure yep. I agree yeah it's a rock solid book even if you don't mess with Punisher and I don't necessarily mess with Punisher the week that this, Me neither. Bo- this book came out I read the regular monthly Punisher issue and was like ugh yeah. I don't want this I mean, this is a standout book, so good pick, man. It doesn't read like a Punisher book. It no. doesn't read about a dude stalking the city streets on rooftops, shooting people, and getting shot at. No, you could remove Punisher from this book, and it could be a Vietnam story. Yep. Garth Ennis has solid. the skill. Yeah, and he, he is. Uh, he has always been one of my favorite comic creators and writers. He kind of fell off my radar for, radar for a little bit, and he came back and was just like, oh, that's right, you're absolutely one of the best. It feels like a ma- – I don't know – how to say this but he it feels like a more mature garth ennis too he's not trying to gross you out he's not throwing fuck words into every people third word balloon yeah he'll have people bone that's a thing that he does well i mean especially like you think of the books recently that were really huge for him and i'm thinking of the boys specifically right and that crazy over the top and everything is so over the top and like there it did get to a point i was like oh right man i get it you know how to spell fuck like that's cool but this doesn't feel like that. It feels nope. a little quieter, in, in, it's, which sounds crazy because it's a Punisher Vietnam story, but it feels a little quieter and more personal, and I, com- I completely agree. It's a great pick. I also love that you had to call me LT for an entire episode of this podcast because of a bet that you lost revolving around this book. So it has a special place in my heart. That's all that matters to me. Yeah. Curtis? <laughs> yeah, man. What was your number four? My number four was a little comic book called Detective Cool Comics. And I'm just picking the whole run. The most recent storyline was Deuce Ex Machina, Deuce Ex Machina. And this is a story about Azrael. This is a book about the Bat family. So this is Batman, Batwoman. This has got a bunch of the Robins in there. It is, is set in Gotham. I think it's the best Bat book coming out overall and has been for 32 issues. Better than better than the Tom King Batman. So Tom King has had moments. Like there's three or four issues of the Tom King Batman are the best Batman stories I've ever read. Yeah. He did a Swamp Thing Batman issue, you know, a couple issues back, it's the best, right? But in its totality. But as yes, as four story arcs so far, we're into the fifth story arc of Detective Comics. Uh, James Tinian is writing this thing. He, you know, was apprenticing under Scott Snyder for many years. He's just graduated into one of the best kind of mainstream comic book writers. I every single week, every two weeks, Detective comes out. I am very excited to give that book a go, and it's just holding up. And you can't say that for a lot of books. Thirty-two issues in, same writer. Get, if you like Bat Family stuff, if you want to read good Red Robin stuff or good Batwoman stuff, 
it's in Detective Comics. Here's the thing about Tinian is the dude does interpersonal connections better than just about anyone. So Tom King, what I like about it is they're two great Bat books. Um, But what's cool about Tinian is when he writes the Bat family and how they're interacting with one another, they're totally superheroes. He doesn't downplay that one bit. But they also know each other. They know each other, and they've grown up together, and they have connections with people like Alfred, and they dive into that stuff. And because he makes it seem like they've known each other for a very long time, instead of Batwoman and Nightwing meeting on top of a building and be like, hey... You know, he gets right. into the fact yeah. that these people grew up together. They've fought together. They fought by his side. They've dealt, dealt with loss. Like, loss is a big part of Tinian's story. He is one of the best for writing these kind Don't of books. Don't sleep on James Tinian the fourth man. Don't. He's, he's rock solid. Dude's really good. Yeah, and we should also mention that Marguerite Bennett has uh, co-written a bunch of this stuff, too. So her DNA is on this book as well. And there was this great story. Like, they're introducing new villains. There's a story arc called The Victim Syndicate. And it's like all these. Oh, these, yeah. Uh, characters like side characters that you know and he pulls from all these major stories that have happened throughout the Batman history you know so it's actual canon but they've developed into these very bitter uh, sad people because they've been broken because they were these victims of a crime committed by another villain it's it's fabulous he's adding to the mythos in a way that few people are it's a very superhero-y super book yeah and it's very continuity heavy but damn fine comic book Detective Comics. That's your number four. That's my number four. My number four was Mr. Miracle. It is Mr. Miracle. It still is. It still is. And the only reason it's probably Mr. Miracle's not higher on the list is that we're like not even halfway through it yet. Let's be real. This book is fire. This is New God shit. This is Jack Kirby shit done Tom King style. Uh, Mostly it's about Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Yeah. And... We're it's about that to me when I think of that book I think about them in bed together just like talking to each other. Yep, pillow, pillow talk. Just pillow talk. There's so much pillow talk. Yeah, and just Mr. Miracle being so palpably fucking sad and he is like, falling apart. He's just completely falling apart, and we don't 100% know why, but we do know what, that he's had this horrible life and all these horrible things have happened to them, and it's mixed in with the superheroist of superhero shit. This is the book that I would put in front of anyone that reads comics but think they don't like superhero comics. Like this this and the vision from Tom King too. Like this is what this part of the medium is capable of is a, a book like this. Yeah, we're talking about Tom King a whole lot I just realized. We are. And, it's uh, the creator of the year, Tom King. Can absolutely. We, should we go on record? Absolutely. Could do. Yeah, I mean he's he's knocking out of the park. Yeah, this is like if you like indie comics, right, and you 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 skate around the the periphery of superhero stuff, this is a book to jump you in. Yes, you know this, this will get you on the team. Yep, and this is man, oh man, so good, Mister Miracle. That's number four. Let's do number threes. <gasps> it's getting closer, you guys. My number three. I think I, I'm the only one who picked a manga. I'm gonna pick a manga for my number three. Please do. It's Delicious in Dungeon. I have a soft spot for manga. I grew up reading a lot of manga. Um, and Nick actually found this book and, and brought it to me. As, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "This!" I, I, I pick out this Mar- is a Marcus shit. Marcus's comics every week yeah. now. And I was like, well, that one's going to Marcus. And I loved it. It's about a group of adventurers, fantasy adventurers, who are so broke that they can't afford food. So they go into the dungeon, and there's only one way to eat in the dungeon if you don't have any money. And that's you you use what's in the dungeon. That can be part of monsters. That can be fungi that grows on the side of the walls. It's phenomenal. It bring I, I feel like a little kid when I'm reading it again. 
because it's lighthearted and there's lots of jokes. It's got goofy characters. I get a lot of Ranma One Half in it, which was a book I read when I was growing up that was a huge manga in the 90s. It's just, you got this wacky group of characters. They're doing this weird thing that no one else is doing or should be doing. But it also has, the best part of it, it has these recipes that they'll throw in there. It's like, one part mushroom walker feet, one part slime <laughs> ooze, a dingle of, of, you know, undead boar hair. And it's just goofy. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. It is one of the best manga I've read in a long time. I recommend it to just about everyone. And it's written and illustrated by Ryoko Kui. It is It is a fu- Kids, teenagers, adults, everyone should be reading Delicious in Dungeon. It is my one of the best books I read and absolutely the best manga I read this year. That's number three. Now we're in the threes. It's three time. Curtis, three time. there's three of us. Hey! This is a fun number. <laughs> three Curtis? is the magic number. That's why I've heard that. You know? Uh, my number three is a book called Tarantula. It's a hardcover, and it's just called Tarantula. I just wanted to get dramatic with the name. This is by Fabian Wrangel and Alexis Zurit. And you know these guys. We talk about them all the time. They did Space Riders. Fabian Wrangel writes Samurai Jack right now. I love everything this guy does. Tarantula is a hardcover that came out from Ad House Books. I think you can't get it right now. Dig around. If you can find this thing, it's great. But it is about a, I guess, a crime fighter. Her name's the Tarantula. She, for whatever reason, wears a tiny bikini and knee-high leather boots. And she's Tarantula-themed. And she's fighting crime. A dark cult is trying to raise like a Cthulhu god. And they want to... Take over the world with Cthulhu for whatever reason. Money, probably. God, man. Who doesn't want to take over the world with Cthulhu? It seems like a bad... You know, you're watching, you're like, this dude, when he takes over, he's going to kill everybody. It's going to be It's going to be sweet for somebody, though. Yeah, I don't there's know. There's got to be money in it. <laughs> I feel like that's what they hope. Yeah. And it's going to end bo- poorly for them. And there's luchadors in this book. It's like a crime noir thing. It's just over the top. It's hard to describe. It's very, very psychedelic, rock and roll, in-your-face, action-y pulp comic book if you liked space riders if you like trashy comic books yeah give this thing a, a whirl i mean it looks like you know it was it's straight out of 1987 it is the shit i love these guys our lists are drastically different gentlemen very different very different look at lists this you know we're three grown friends different different friends we're different friends. Different friends. <laughs> I feel like also Guillermo del Toro, given the chance, would summon Cthulhu and be his vessel on Earth. In a heartbeat. Wow. I yeah. feel like he would, don't you think? I didn't think about it until just now, but now that you've said it. I Probably he would. Maybe he's been trying to do that with, with all his movies. movies. He's like, hey, Cthulhu. Or he knows and he's preparing us. Maybe he's the hero. Trying to get on his good, maybe he's trying to get on Cthulhu's good side before he inevitably does show up. And eat all of us. When the moon cracks in half and the tentacles come out. Fuck. All right. My number three was Angelic. Another comic book that's still in single issues and hasn't completed yet, but I'm calling it. Third best comic of the whole year. You're calling it right now. Simon Spurrier and Casper Wingard. You love Simon Spurrier so much. I love Simon Spurrier so much. He had another book that wrapped up this year called God Shaper. He's writing some... Dark Crystal comics yeah. that could take or leave. Hey, those are pretty cool. I like yeah, those. They're, they're fine. <laughs> and but Angelic is brilliant. It is about a, it's post-apocalyptic kind of, 
But all of these animals have been weaponized by humans. They've like given implants and they're cybernetic and they're enhanced intelligence. They're smarter than they should be. They can kind of talk to each other, but kind of in a weird you know, animal robot way. Now we're way in the future, right? So maybe all the humans are gone. Humans are gone. And like these animals have been around and, and doing their own thing for so long. For so long. They formed their own cultures and their own right. little cities and their own rivalries with other species. And none of them really know how they got there. They pass on these kind of like cryptic traditions to each other. This is about this one particular monkey in particular, <laughs> a particular monkey in particular, <laughs> who... Uh, doesn't who kind of is she questions what's going on a lot she was wondering why uh, you know her her little city is the way that it is and why her people are the way that they are and she wanders off and gets sucked into an adventure that maybe will explain everything that's going on I don't think there's a better world builder in comics than Simon Spurrier original worlds that you never could have dreamed of and he introduces them to you and walks you through them big concept crazy ass worlds that he just like drip feeds you in the perfect way and he, he just put you're just a fly on the wall there's no exposition no you're just you're just somehow there watching these events and you have to infer and and based on language based on the environments that he is showing you this is is integral to the storytelling yep. as the dialogue that these characters are having and there's almost always something about the dialogue that's weird or or like broken like you always always have to learn what how to speak the language of a Simon Spurrier book like just to speak the dialogue language of it God Shaper did the same thing God Shaper did the same yep. thing uh, the Spire did the exact same thing I mean this is he's just so good at that but it makes you more invested because then at once you start to figure out what's going on you're a part of that world now because now you speak that language I just love Simon Spurrier so much. This book, and when you read the first issue, you might want to dismiss it as it seems like it's going to be a little hokey. It seems like maybe it's for kids and like, oh, she's a curious monkey and she's going to get into a crazy mischievous adventure. And then it goes completely in a direction that you weren't thinking. So that's Angelic. That's my number three pick. Oh, man, it's getting real now. Now we're in the twos. Now we're doing the twos. Two's the other magic number. Two is more magic. Uh, well, hey, Marcus. Yes. What was your number two? I'm doing a combo for number two. That's totally against the rules. I know, but I'm doing it anyways because it's kind of one storyline. My number two pick is The Mighty Thor and Unworthy Thor. And they're both by Jason Aaron. So it's the same story. It's one pick. It's one. It's 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 the Thoraverse. Yeah. Here, here's the thing about Thor. Uh, I like Growing up, I never read Thor. I was not a big Thor guy. I mean, I drop in. I like the mythos. I, I like Asgard. But Jason Aaron has taken two characters and told, I think, the best story in all of Marvel right now. It was real hokey. A couple years ago, Thor lost his hammer. Someone else picked up the hammer. I was very skeptical. But this year in particular, these two characters, Jane Foster, who is Thor, Odin's son, who used to be Thor, and their adventures. And what's cool about it is these two stories often weave kind of with each other, but in Mighty Thor, it's kind of your standard, like, we're in this world, and we're fighting bad guys, and, and and that's a Thor that I really like. But then in Unworthy Thor, it's all fucking deep Asgard mythos. Pools of fate, trees of death, ice goblins. But the story as a collective is the best storytelling that has happened in Marvel this year. It's taken a character that I kind of liked growing up and put Thor on the top of my list 
for Marvel characters. It's like Captain America, who I will love till the day I die, and now Thor. And if you had asked me two or three years ago even, how much do you care about Thor? It would have been zero. But man, Jason Aaron over this run of Thor that I think is going to go down in history as the best run of Thor of all time has created a world that is vast and different and wild. And it is the, these books are the books that I absolutely have to read when they come out from Marvel. Agreed 100%. Thor 700, which was the big old legacy relaunch yep. issue, one of the best single issues of the year. Agreed. Yeah, Jason Aaron, his whole, I mean, going all the way back to God Butcher, I mean, we're on five years of that guy just killing it on Thor. So I'll back you up there. And Unworthy Thor, very cool. Sweet. Shaven head, sad, sad Odin son. Yeah, sad good Thor. stuff. Odin sad. Yeah. Curtis, what was your number two pick? That's a great question. For the I'm gonna, whole year. I'm going to answer it. If you'd let me, if you just let me get a word. For the whole year. Edgewise. Number two. <laughs> it's Whenever Black, you're ready. It's Black Hammer. Cool. By Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormston. These guys have crafted this kick-ass, independently-minded, but totally golden age comic about the greatest super team that ever was. They fought their greatest battle against a world-ending nemesis, and they were, you know, in this flash, they were sent away to this place called The Farm, which feels like this Twilight Zone world where they're trapped. They can't leave this place. There's people, there's a little town, but they can't go there more than, like, 30 miles without this, like, invisible wall stopping them from leaving. They don't know how they got there. They've been here. Time is distorted, so they don't know how long they've been there. And, I mean, this book just has everything you want. It's got killer character building. It's got flashbacks to their life before the farm. It's referential to the greatest comic stories that have ever been told throughout the golden age of comic books. Mm -hmm. Jeff Lemire, we've said it a billion times. This guy, whatever he wants to do, he does it, and he does it better than anybody else. And Dean Ormston, the art is absolutely stellar. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about Black Hammer. There's a spinoff right now called Sherlock Frankenstein that everybody should check out. Grab Vine 1 of Black Hammer. Do yourself a favor. You yeah. don't have to know anything these guys are talking about in this book either because every character is a reference to some famous character. Yeah. But you don't need to know that stuff. It just adds to the, the, the glory of this book. Nick, I was flabbergasted. That this book was not in your top two. It's too, many good, it's too much good stuff, man. Flabbergasted. It's too much. And it's was easily um, in my top last year. I'm, I didn't go back and check, but I, it had to be, you know. It was, but it was solid all year. Great oh, yeah. book all year. Yep, we've been talking month about it month to month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. That's how good this year was. Was it too? It was almost too good. Maybe it was almost too good. My number two pick for too good was also Curtis's number five pick. Uh huh. Rock Candy Mountain from Kyle Starks. He does it all. He draws it. He writes it. Does the whole thing. This is about the hobo Jackson looking for Rock Candy Mountain. It is maybe the funniest comic I've ever read, just it's in terms of just for funnies. Stupid funny. Just for giggles. But in the last issue, I think it was issue number five, uh -huh. I believe, it turned into something completely different. We got the story. So up, up until this point, you know, the hobo Jackson is a dude that's really good at fighting. He kicks everybody's butt. He's taken this other hobo under his wing as they are looking for Rock Candy Mountain. You don't really know if Jackson's crazy, but they're on this, like, you know, wacky trip 
down the rails of the USA. And I love this book even before, even when it was just about that, even when it was just like mostly stupid and silly, I was in love with this book. This book will make you spit take if you have shit in your mouth. It's that funny. It is that funny. Mm -hmm. But then in issue number six, we find out Jackson's backstory or five maybe. I can't remember number five. Number five. Mm -hmm. We find out Jackson's backstory and about his tour in World War II and the deal that he makes with the devil in order to become the way that he is and how his quest was just to get back to his family. And it was not that funny of, a, of an issue. No. It was played totally straight, and it was unbelievable, completely knocked me out. It took one of my favorite books and made it uh, even better. It just added weight somehow. You know, you It added weight. To the whole previous four issues, like, yep. whoa, okay, yeah. It totally Dynamite. changed the way that I thought about that book and changed the way I thought about Kyle Stark's it's absolutely one of the best things I've read all year. So that's my number two pick, Rock Candy Mountain. Now we got to get fucking real, you guys, because it's the number one picks. It's the best. You got y'all are saying that what you're, the book you're about to say is the best thing you've read all year. I know. That's what you guys are about to say to me right now. <laughs> I've probably said this is the best thing I've read all year on every single podcast. Probably. <laughs> every probably. time I've done a big pick. That's but kind of this, our thing. This is the real one. This is the real one for real. Okay. Marcus? Yes. Hit me. Mine is Audubon on the Wings of the World. So this book is about Audubon. He is a naturalist. You may have know you may know about him. Oh, John James Audubon. John James Audubon. His pr- the prince. You'll see prince by the Audubon Society. Mm-hmm. They're very famous. He's the prince of birds. He is the prince of birds. So he, um man, I I love this book. I love everything about this book. I love when comics can do something completely unexpected. And I, I knew about this dude. Most people do. But Audubon. About Audubon. And then I read this book, and it just showed all the layers of stuff that I had never known before. I'm a history buff to begin with. Um, but this book is done by a French creative team. The art style is unlike anything I have read all or, or seen all year. It, it's... Just the best piece of storytelling I read all year. What period. was it? A, what was it? Could you put your finger on one thing about it? Was it the, was it the art mostly that did it for you? Yeah, was it, it the is, dude's life? When when we get autobiographies or when we get biographies of people, often it's done with rose tinted glasses. And when I started reading this book, I thought that that's what I was going to get because it starts out as very much an adventure story. But this dude is a workaholic. It's like unhealthy. He has an unhealthy obsession with nature and with birds in particular. The dude loves birds. And it breaks down his family. It breaks down his health. And it ends in a really kind of sad, crazy way. But I love it when a graphic novel can go and show the importance of one person. That This dude is important to our lives today. Our world looks totally different if he doesn't exist. And he's not someone you put on a list when you think about people like that. But this graphic novel showed me how important he was and it, it stuck with me and it's just the best piece of storytelling i read all year hands down and it is helped with by some of the best art i've ever seen yeah yeah it's a big handsome oversized hardcover too it is man it's a good looking book i haven't read this one but you've inspired me it came out really early in the year i think it came out in february yeah um and in did he invent the freeway no. No? No, he didn't. Somebody else. I'm trying to talk about the best book I've, I've read all year. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. And here you We've come. just been podcasting here, a long time. I'm starting to get a little here sleepy. Here you come with a, with a car joke, of all things. Things that kill birds. It's a deep cut, too. 
Go. Well, my dude killed a lot of birds. It turns out <laughs> we find out in that book. But you go. Think he ate them. I don't think he did. No. No. He just no. marked them out so he could so he could paint them. I'm talking about the best book all year. This is where we're at. <laughs> if you haven't read, <laughs> it was this a good book. book. If you, ha- it, it was a great book. <laughs> if you haven't read it, go read it. If you did read it and it's been a couple months, do what I did last night. Go back and read it again. It is a phenomenal comic. That's your number one. This your number one. Curtis, what was your number one? I'm going with, wait for it. Are you guys waiting? Yes. Keep waiting. Yep. All right, it's God Country! The complete series. Cool. It came out this year in singles, so six issues. Did it start coming out this year, too? It did. Yeah. And now it's done, and it's one volume. This is Donnie Cates, who's probably my second favorite writer of the year. I mean, we got... I'm definitely we said it. I agree. Tom King number one. Donny Cates is a close second. Dude's been making noise. He did a tomahawk. He's writing Doctor Strange over at Marvel Comics. He is kicking ass. God Country is a story about a family that moves out to the country to take care of. It's a husband, a wife, and a daughter, and they need to take care of the husband's uh, father who is suffering from Alzheimer's very severely. He is falling apart. He can't remember stuff he's he's has fits of rage i mean it's it's pretty intense this thing happens this explosion happens in the sky magic sword falls to the ground the old man picks it up and it and it heals him as long as he holds this sword his mind is back he can remember his wife who he forgot uh had passed away a few years ago it's awesome but the sword is alive it's a god it's called valifax and the place where it came from the people the gods there their kingdom is dying and they want this sword back. And this tiny little family that's like holding on to, you know, their their family's unit, their sanity is just embroiled in this crazy ancient god war. It was it was awesome. It's big, it's violent, there's com you know, god war combat. But then it's really at the heart of it, it's about this family just trying to keep it all together. And it's it was sad, it was poignant. It was it was killer, man. Yeah. We've talked at length about God Country since it's been coming out. It was our book of the month, and we spent some time on this mm-hmm, podcast mm-hmm. talking about it. I fully endorse this number one pick. It, fully endorse it. it. It was the book that made me know anything Donny Cades does. Sometimes l- those writers, check it they out. do a book, and it's like, all right, that's it. You got me forever, buddy. Yep. Now we're forever buddies. We should point out uh, Jeff Shaw did the art on this book, Killer Artist, mm-hmm. uh, and he is doing um, Thanos right now with Donny Cates over at Marvel. That's your number one. God country. My hey Nick. Yeah. We're gonna skip your number one. Cool. Save it for next year. Yeah. We'll just do it next year. That's gonna do it for us. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. No, no we shut can't. It. We can't skip it. Okay, I'll tell you my number one. It's my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. That's a good pick. I can't believe this wasn't on any of your either of your picks. I, I mean, know. It's all right. I think you're both <laughs> I'm just so kidding. full of woo, shit. Woo. It didn't make it any. What did, was it even in your honorable mentions even? I didn't see it in my honorable mentions. No. I don't think either one of you finished it. I I, I finished that I, book. I don't I, think I, I either. Did, one. I hey. did not finish it. I'll, I'll open. I'll come out here and say it. You bailed on it. I bailed about a quarter in. It's a big book. It's a very big book. It's the best thing I read all year. It's the best thing I've read in years. This is Emil Ferris's first graphic novel. Story of a little girl, little Karen. She sees herself as a monster, as a werewolf. She doesn't really want to be a little girl. She doesn't know what she wants to be, but she doesn't really want to be a little girl. She's dealing with some heavy stuff at home. Her neighbor was murdered. She loves monster stories. She loves murder mysteries and monster stories. She's going to solve her neighbor's murder, 
But really, she's just going to live in Chicago in the 60s and try to, like, you know, figure out her shit. Yeah, deal with her mom's dying, yep. her brother's having trouble. The whole thing is Tough told life. as kind of like a journal, and she just draws these scenes from her life, but it's from her perspective, so she draws things in this very, very crazy way of, like, the way a 12-year-old might see it, although obviously it's with the skill of someone who's been alive for a really long time and who has like the eye and empathy of someone who's been alive for, you know, longer than 12 years on planet earth. Uh, this book is, it's a masterpiece of comics. I think it's one of the best books I've read maybe ever in my whole life. And the second volume comes out in a couple months and I am eagerly anticipating it. I think, uh, Emil Ferris for her first graphic novel shows not only an understanding of how comics work. That is ridiculous for a first time. Yeah. Graphic novelist. I mean, it's she does stuff I've never seen before. So you that, and I think that's part of it, right? Because she's coming at it from she she breaks a lot of rules. Yeah, she approaches the comic not as a as a series of panels. You can just tell that she she brings an eye to it of someone that has not maybe read comics their whole life and has made comics their entire life, but understands what the medium can do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, she's bringing, I think you're right, that outsider's view. She's doing comics, but then it's, like you say, it's a journal. Yep. There's full-page illustrations. There's text. I mean, it's it's very, very cool. Um, yeah. I can't wait to see more from this lady. She yeah. is. Marcus, you should finish it. You'd like it. Yeah, we'll see. You'd like <laughs> You're not gonna finish. <laughs> hey, it. I'm not gonna lie. I, I, it took me sessions to put this book down. Yeah, every page is this. this it's also dense, intense. It's super intense. It, I mean, eight, ten hours it took me to read uh, this graphic novel. It is a beast. Yeah. and I mean that as a compliment. It's, it's worth pouring over. Seems like a lot of time. Totally worth it. No, I'm, I'm worth your money too. I'm sure it is. Oh, for for the the price you pay. Price, kidney. Hour, hour per penny. It's very, very worth it. Those are our. Big picks of the whole year. That's the best shit of the whole year. And you'll notice that we just picked comic books. We didn't distinguish between, you know, graphic novels and single issue stuff. This is just if it if it was a comic book and we read it this year, it made the list. Very very simply. I'm a little disappointed you guys didn't uh, didn't follow my trend and do your biggest mess up pick of the year. The biggest fuck up. Yeah. And you by that you mean the worst thing that you read all year? The worst thing I recommended all year. Oh. oh. Oh, maybe we'll come back to that. I would have to take a. I would have to go back and take a look. Yeah, sure. And we're already. Way Rachel over. is gnashing her teeth <laughs> at how far we've gone over. I I wish that I knew how to make the gnashing of teeth sound because I would. Please it, end this. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's let's call it good from there. Hey, before we end though, um, if you're still listening, there's like no chance that anyone's <laughs> still listening to this podcast. But we did um, the world's worst holiday gift guide last week. And just, and I say that just because it's a terrible gift guide. It's just not a good way to learn about things to buy for your loved ones. Absolutely not. No matter else, whatever else you want to say about it. Um, and I we had a lot of fun making it, but it would have been completely unlistenable if not for Rachel and if not for what she did to it and the editing work that she put into it, which is like exponentially more work than a normal episode of Super Skull. So I just wanted to take a second and thank her very, very much for doing that and for putting up with all of our stupid ideas and having to listen to that so many times. Thank you, Rachel. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks, pal. Bonus yeah. points to the people who pointed out that there's a blender in the shop now. Oh, yeah, you did work that in yeah. there a little bit, didn't you? Yes. That's all we're going to say about the the holiday gift guide, but... Um, yeah, don't don't fuck with us. We'll do it again. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Listen to it at your pearl. I'll you know the that. threats were made last year that you know we would do it again, and look at where we are. We're not scared. I don't give a shit. I love it. 
Our producer and editor is the amazing Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on iTunes and Stitcher if you would. Also, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you super good reading. Until next year. I had an encounter with a skunk. Okay. So Kerrigan and I were returning from a, a gathering. Mm-hmm. We pull into my driveway, and next to the front door, there's a fucking skunk. Just chilling. How, I'm a, I'm how a, big was the skunk? Foot and a half. Okay. Big skunk. B- big mature skunk, mature skunk. skunk. Yeah. Okay. So it's just chilling on the little landing, kind of by the front door. So I turn the high beams on, start honking the horn, think I'm going to scare it off. Right? It's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm acting like a crazy person. Skunk completely unfazed by the fact that I'm I'm sitting there wailing the horn. So it goes and it moves and it goes around my house and up to my side door because we were like, all right, well we'll run in the side door, no big deal. Literally, as soon as those words leave my mouth, skunk goes to the side door. Was he trying to get in the house? You think? I don't think so. So all right, we're getting up, we're getting ready. We're like, all right, we're gonna bolt to the front door. So I have my keys in one hand mm-hmm. with my house key ready, and we get all our stuff. Open the door, bolt it for the house. Shut, slam the door. Doosh. Meanwhile, who knows where the fucking skunk is? It, it could be literally anywhere. I have a big bush by my front door that it was running in between. So we get inside. Kerrigan looks out the window. She's like, I think we left one of the lights in the car on. And I was like, I looked at her just in there. I was like, I took my shoes off. <laughs> and so I, I turned out all the lights and I was like, all right, I'll watch. And if he comes out to flank you on one of the sides, I'll yell and just get in the car and we'll just wait. And she was like, well, just shoot it. Shoot the skunk? I was wow. like, you, you can't shoot a skunk. It'll smell. It'll smell terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> the middle of the night, bolts from the front door out to her car. I'm looking. I'm like on the front stoop like a coward. Mm-hmm. Just looking. My my senses are heightened. I'm listening. I'm hearing things that I never heard before around my house. She bolts back in. Car light wasn't on. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you <laughs> forgot one key thing here where you yell behind her, grab the beer. Oh, yeah. She like made it halfway back. I was like, oh, grab the beer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man.